With more than 500 programs a year, there's never a dull moment at the Commonwealth Club. If you're a fan of this podcast and you like hearing new and provocative discussions with the most interesting people in the world, consider showing your support by joining the Commonwealth Club and ensuring that the conversations never end. Visit commonwealthclub.org slash special to get special rates on membership. Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to today's program at the Commonwealth Club of California, India, Israel, and Berkeley. I'm so much Hatiji. I'm going to be your moderator for this program today. And this is such an honor and privilege to be with you today. I'm so excited. Uh, just briefly to introduce myself, I serve as a board member of Silicon Valley Interreligious Council, representing Hinduism from Hindu American Foundation. Uh, we work with Jewish community very closely here. I also serve as the diversity ambassador for India Currents publication. Now, let me introduce you to our very distinguished uh, panelists. Uh, our panel, we have uh, Dr. Francesco Spaniello. He's an uh, associate adjunct professor, also curator of the Magnus Museum at UC Berkeley. And we have uh, Matan Zamir, Deputy Consul General of Pacific Northwest Consulate of Israel, located in San Francisco. And we have the world's only Indian Jewish stand-up comedian, Samson Kolletker. So ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our esteemed panel. And we would start our conversation today with the presentation from um, Dr. Francesco Spaniello. So Francesco is also um, at the Institute of European Studies, the Religious Diversity Cluster of the Haas Institute. Um, and he serves on the Digital Humanities Council. Dr. Spaniolo's research and teaching interest intersects uh, textual, visual, and musical cultures. And he contributes to uh, academic and cultural heritage institutions, live and electronic media in Europe, Israel, and the US. Francesco, welcome. Thank you. I'm here to mostly guide you through some of the treasures that are kept in the Magnus Collection of Jewish Art and Life at UC Berkeley. They were collected in South India, in Kerala, beginning in the late 1960s. So I will guide you a little bit through these uh, incredible materials. It's a, it's a cache of incredible uh, treasures. And But first of all, let's just uh, paint uh, the, the map of where we're moving. We're, we'll be, I'll be presenting about materials that all come from Kerala and especially from the area of Kochi in South India. Uh, so you see on the map uh, wh where we are in uh, in uh, in the context of the India subcontinent. Um, the materials of the Magnus include uh, all, all, over 1,500 items, and they include synagogue furnishings and lamps, ritual objects, textiles, especially festive clothing, um, like uh, such as uh, you know wedding attires and so on. But also uh, very interesting manuscripts. I will show you at some point the 
notebook, the accounting book of a, uh, of a 17th century, 18th century spice trader uh, from South India, books printed in India, but also that arrived to India from all over the world, and photographs and footage. Uh, in, in showing these things, I hope to point you to some of the uh, key aspects of uh, the history of this incredible community, and a community that uh, has uh, architectural assets in Kerala, in and around the city of Kochi and the, and the, uh, and the Malabar coast. Uh, people, the bulk of the community in the state of Israel, where they moved beginning in the middle of the 1950s, and most of its uh, heritage here in uh, Berkeley, California. So it's an interesting triangulation that led me when I started discovering these materials and presenting them in, a, in an exhibition to call the exhibition Global India. Um, my experience was that the history of this community was often described in the general world, both Jewish and non-Jewish as, uh, as a case of exoticism. How surprising, even this morning, I was speaking with somebody in Moscow who was like, how surprising it is to know that there are Jews in India. Of course, there were Jews in India for a long, long time. Uh, it's a history that's documented in writing uh, over the last thousand years. And, and it's, a, it's a global history. And let's, let's uh, remind ourselves of why. Uh, here is a map of the spice trade in the 16th century. Most of the holdings that uh, we'll be discussing date back to the, to the 1500s, way into the 20th century. And this is kind of the, 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 the map of the global roots of the spice trade. And uh, we know to this day that many of the spices that we use in our food come from this part of the world. And we know that for many, many centuries, this part of the world has been connected in all kinds of ways. And in the terms of, of, of the history of the Jewish community, very much impacted by the waves of colonial power powers that, uh, that control the spice trade, but also impacted very much by the creation of India as a, as a nation state in the 20th century. Uh, it's a history that uh, the Magnus begins in 1968. In 1968, the state of Kerala celebrated the 400th anniversary of the establishment of the Parteshi Synagogue, which is uh, historically considered kind of the hub for both Jews and non-Jews, the hub of Jewish life in, in the city of Kochi. This is a poster, original, of course, an image of the original poster. Everything I will show you today comes from the collection of the Magnus at UC Berkeley. And this is an original poster from, uh, from 1968. And it's written in both English and Malayalam, uh, Malayalam, a language that's spoken, I'm being told, but then written because of the high degree of literacy by, by tens of millions of, of people to this day. And uh, a lot of Jewish life in Kerala existed in, in Hebrew, but also very much in Malayalam. The, uh, on the occasion of the anniversary of the synagogue, the state of Kerala also printed envelopes and, and, and stamps. So this is a, a, a stamp, stamp 1968. And in that year, emissaries from the Magnus visited Kerala and got in touch with uh, the representatives of the community that had not yet moved to Israel, they were getting ready to uh, to relocate and kind of leave behind sites and 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 uh, cultural heritage. And over in the course of the of this of several years, following 1968, um, elements of this community decided to archive themselves in California. They heard that there was a Jewish museum in Berkeley, California, that was really interested in the history of the global Jewish diaspora, and they. Uh, created, uh, as we will see, synagogue furnishings and, and clothing and especially archives and shipped everything off to California. Following that, there were subsequent trips and uh, more history of the community came, uh, came to light in California. Uh, just to be, and again, to work a little bit on math, uh, 
this is the area of Kochi with little dots of the main synagogues in the area. Um, and if one wants to learn more, there is a, a, a really incredible volume, highly informative book, uh, Synagogues of India, um, that's been engineered by, you know, we're very fortunate in the Bay Area to have an incredible community member who's been my friend and mentor in researching these materials, Mariam Sofer, uh, based in Palo Alto, who's been really uh, stewarding the preservation of, of, of uh, uh, heritage, especially architectural heritage in in, uh, in in India. So this is a map, but in, in around Kochi itself, there were eight synagogues. One of them was dismantled uh, in the in the 1950s, and its furnishings ended up in the storage of another synagogue where they were found uh, by the Magnus. Among them, there was a stupendous Torah ark. This is made of teak. It's uh, decorated, painted, gold leaf. Uh, it's about 13 feet uh, high. Uh, and it's uh, currently in Berkeley, California. Um, what's uh, striking about this Torah Ark is that not only it's from the 17th century, but there were some similar ones in other synagogues in the area. It seems like there was kind of a race among congregations to have a Torah Ark of this kind. And the European uh, aesthetic here is very, very, very important because it signals the attempt and the way in which the community positions itself uh, in sync with the uh, elites of, uh, of the colonial powers, especially at that time, the Portuguese powers. So this is, in a way, a slice of the Portuguese Jewish diaspora that emerges in, uh, in, in South India beginning in the 17th century. Um, a Torah ark is the, is the sort of part of the synagogue that contains the, the, the scrolls of the Hebrew Bible, the Torah. And this is an original photo from 1937 of a young man holding a Torah scroll in its uh, very typical case. Also, well, we don't see the, the, uh, the colors here, but, uh, but also uh, uh, decorated in gold leaf. Uh, that's not the only architectural fragment that's uh, part of the Magnus collection, uh, but it's not also not the only synagogue that furnishing that left Kerala in the, the Israel Museum in Jerusalem, which, by the way, I learned today is about to reopen, will reopen uh, um, in, you know, in the wake of COVID. Uh, the interiors of one of the synagogues in, in, in Kara has been reconstructed at the Israel Museum in Jerusalem. So one can walk through this, uh, this incredible room that reconstructs it. But uh, uh, Berkeley is no second uh, with, this, uh, with this incredible object. Here's a detail. As you can see, it's, uh, it's fully decorated. This is a, 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 an inscription that, um, that honors the, the Torah, the, 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 the Hebrew Bible itself, and it's crowned by a, a crown of royalty. Uh, and it's not the only element from that synagogue that's in Berkeley. Here is another one. I decided to show you a photo of our storage rather than a pretty photo. Uh, this is created, and uh, we were able to reconstruct exactly where this was located in the synagogue that was then uh, demolished. Uh, it was a pediment in the entrance door. This is another photograph. This photograph I'm showing and a video that I would show at the end of my presentation were taken in 1937 by an American anthropologist, David Mendelbaum, who at the end of 1937 spent the, high, the Jewish high holidays in Kerala and subsequently wrote the first scholarly article about uh, this community. And then after his studies and serving at the University of Minnesota, came to UC Berkeley, was a professor of anthropology at UC Berkeley for, for, for many years. Uh, so these are among his photographs, again, in the Magnus Collection in, in Berkeley. I was saying furnishings, for example, synagogue lamps. Here is an example. And uh, what uh, this lamp has that's particularly interesting is that it's inscribed in both Hebrew 
and Malayalam by the donor. This is uh, inscribed in honor and memory of, of somebody, but also by its maker. So we have the maker's marks and we see a partnership in the creation and use of these objects between Jews and non-Jews in the area. That is really a trademark uh, of the culture of the Jews in the area. It's really a, an intersection of cultures, one that really characterizes the history of this community in, in incredible ways. More lamps, and just as a reminder, these lamps all have, or were supposed to have, like this one, glass vessels that contained coconut oil. So they burned co coconut oil. And this is a, a, a Hanukkah lamp. Please note, and we'll go back, but the birds, the, the peacocks and other birds that are featured across all kinds of uh, symbology in the area there, uh, it's a symbol of wealth, of, of, of uh, fertility, and also just of interconnectedness and, and, and beauty. This is a lamp for Hanukkah from one of the homes of the Jewish community in, uh, in Kerala. The collection includes all kinds of small and large objects. These are mezuzot, so they're, uh, they're attached to the doorposts of, of the homes. On your left is one that's more traditional, and on the right, one that's very much a 20th century product. The stars of David, the six-pointed stars that, uh, that are featured in it, are actually a political symbol. They mark, so this is, this is clearly something that was created after the, the late 19-teens, after 1917. The Balfour Declaration that, uh, that allowed Jews to establish what would become a Jewish ha homeland in Israel was very much felt across the, common, the British Commonwealth and among, uh, among Indian Jews. And, uh, and that's when six-pointed starts become part of the iconography of the community. As I was saying, item of clothing, these are uh, on your left in white, a groom's vest, and then a purple vest for Simchat Torah, for the, the Jewish festival of Simchat Torah, a fall festival, and we will be getting uh, to this uh, festival shortly in a couple of months, also from the community, and again, also part of the, the collection at uh, the Magnus in Berkeley. The collection also includes countless books, Hebrew books that were printed in India. Uh, the Jews of Kerala did not print their own books, and most of their books were printed in Mumbai. We'll hear shortly about the, the Jewish life in Mumbai. Uh, Mumbai is a, as a center of, of many aspects of Jewish life, but this was specifically, as the cover says, for those of you in the audience who can read Hebrew, it's a book that contains songs and prayers for uh, for marriage and circumcision and 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 other rituals, according and uh, according to the customs of the holy community of Cochin in Kerala, and there were many of such books. The materials at the Magnus also include manuscripts. I had an embarrassment of choices, but I decided to show you the notebook. This is an accounting book of a spice trader that uh, that was active, at least as we know from the dates in the in the in the book itself, between uh, 1744 and 1820. And uh, we can follow year by year what kind of spices he was purchasing and selling and trading with, and really map his life and his activities, and in a way those of uh, some members of this community uh, through, this, uh, through this book. What's interesting about the materials that were shipped from Kerala to Berkeley is that they also include, like this one, materials that even though they were found there, collected there, are not originating from there. This is from, from North Africa, from the Mediterranean, and it's an amulet to protect newborn children. Uh, very much in use within the, the Kochi community that became a central, and especially the Partashi synagogue, of ritual ceremonies for the, for the circumcision and a receptacle of Kabbalistic rituals at the time. And this manuscript kind of has all of it in its, uh, in its complexity and, and its uh, 
intricacy, uh, including a scary menacing figure at the center and all kinds of protective spells and texts that contain that figure. It's, uh, it's a manuscript that has creases, most likely was used by many members of the community, was folded, tucked into a crib to protect the child and then used for specific rituals on the eve of, of the boy's uh, uh, circumcision. Among the manuscripts are incredibly beautiful, illustrated, uh, painted. This is painted and decorated with gold leaf. Here we have parrots among the, the designs. Uh, this is a, a marriage certificate. We find again the crown of the Torah, the two lions. These are a sign of influence of European and, and, and of, of British uh, European Jewish arrivals, and uh, and then the the model, the structure of this uh, uh, of this manuscript is very much typical of India. The materials in the in this uh, collection are are really countless, and they also highlight a specific character in the history, a very very pivotal character in the history of this community, Abram Barach or Baruch Salem, who lived until just before the Magnus started collecting in Kochi, and who was a lawyer, politician, community activist, active both within the Jewish community and very much in the politics and the national politics of India. The collection includes his own uh, marriage certificate when uh, after his studies in Kolkata to become a lawyer, he married his wife, who's a medical doctor, his wife Ruth. So this is his and his wife's uh, wedding certificate, different design, Kolkata, a different story. The story of Kochi is its, its own. He was very much an activist within his own community, fought for the rights of his minority within the Pardesh, the so-called white Jews synagogues. So he fought for minority rights in all, in all angles and left behind priceless diaries. These are his notes from 1937 about the time that the anthropologist David Mandelbaum visited visited uh, Kochi and describes this visit in, in detail, but there are, uh, there are diaries that start in the, in the, in the 19-teens and continue until the late 1940s. Uh, here he is in an original photo with a street sign of Jewtown Road in Kochi, and a town that was documented not just in photographs, but also in video. And what I'm going to show you is a unique, not just rare, unique video shot by anthropologist David Mandelbaum in, uh, in Kochi, around Jewtown, around the Pardesi Synagogue, uh, with real-life uh, rituals being performed by the community. We see a community in 1937 that's uh, very much entrenched in both traditional life but also modernity. So we'll see in this little snippet a little bit of both, and it's a way to really get a vivid picture of this community. I will accompany it with a few words because the, the film is silent. Uh, the streets the street of the Jewish quarter with all kinds of merchants and shops and, and just uh, street life and characters filmed in 1937 across the street of, of Kochi. And then we will shortly see a celebration of the festival of Simchat Torah, uh, the same festival that we saw a vest, traditional vest earlier in, the, in my presentation. Young women riding cable cars and buses and buses around town dressed in, in modern clothes, not the attires of the, of the merchants. And you see the diversity of clothes, genders, ages in this uh, processional of, of uh, the scrolls of the Hebrew Bible just outside the synagogue. And then we see the crowd sort of getting closer to the to the synagogue itself entering uh, for prayer. As you can see, men and women walk together and then they will kind of share the space of the synagogue with the women in the back, close to the door, probably also close to a little bit of breeze. And the men 
leading the liturgy, but women were also uh, important in this community liturgically. They created their own repertoire of songs and, and poetry and, and, and ritual texts in Malayalam that they sang. And uh, one of the notebooks that they annotated, there are about 30 of these notebooks around the world, uh, was is, is conserved at the Magnus. So here we, we have a, a direct snapshot of life and of course, people arguing in the streets of Kochi in 1937. This is a, a short uh, survey of uh, what the Magnus has to offer in this uh, in this domain. As I said, about 1,500 items. Uh, of course, I couldn't present all of them in just a few minutes. But I hope that this gives you a, a sense of what uh, what's available to our community and beyond, and also a sense of how. Uh, and Soma, please come back and join me, uh, of how this community really continues to exist in its multi-locational and global dimensions uh, to this day and continues to inject new ideas and new life in, uh, in our own to, today. Absolutely. I mean, that was a fantastic presentation, Francesco. Thank you so much. We really appreciate your time and commitment to do this. I mean, the Jewish community has a long legacy in India. They moved there um, after the demolition of the Second Temple in Jerusalem. So hundreds of years of history out there. And I remember last year, me and Celia Mangel, uh, she's the coordinator for the Middle East Forum at the Commonwealth Club. We visited you and you were such a wonderfully gracious host to give us a tour. I know things are closed right now, but when there is an opportunity, we hope to mm -hmm. visit you again and everybody yes. once again. You're uh, listening to the Commonwealth Club of California program, India, Israel, and Berkeley. And please do visit us at www.commonwealthclub.org. Uh, so we would continue with our uh, conversation. Uh, with this, I would like to invite Matan. He's here with us today. Matan was posted um, in Bombay. Now it's called Mumbai for two years. So he has some wonderful experiences to share with us. Uh, Matan is, as you know, Israel's Deputy Consul General to the Pacific Northwest, previously served as a Deputy Chief of Mission at the Israeli Consulates to Mumbai and to New England in the United States. He had, um, he had a decorated career in the Israeli Defense Forces where he received the President's Medal of Excellence. Before joining the Foreign Service, uh, Matan was an international business manager and the director of the training department of the Israeli Supreme Court, a position that was part of Israel's Center for Citizenship and Democracy. Uh, Matan grew up in Jerusalem where his family has lived for nine generations. Wow. Welcome, Matan. Thank you. Thank you, Soma. And thank you, Francesco and Samsung. And I also want to say thank you to Celia, Mark, and the team at the Commonwealth Club for hosting the four of us. And also join you, Soma, for um, congratulating Dr. Spaniolo and the Magnus Museum in Berkeley. I came to San Francisco a year ago, uh, and I was lucky enough to be able to visit the museum before COVID. And I just have to say, this is one of many collections they have, and it's a beautiful place to visit. So I urge everybody, once this whole COVID is behind us, hopefully sooner rather than later, uh, to be able to visit the museum. 
Uh, and you'll see in the background or in the side of me speaking a bunch of pictures from my posting. And I was lucky I had, uh, I was fortunate enough to be able to serve at the Israeli consulate to Mumbai between 2013 and 2015. And these are just a few pictures from my two years there. I could speak about it forever. I'm a lawyer and I'm a diplomat, so I could speak for hours, but I'm not because I have 10 minutes. So I'll try to just find a few um, a few uh, things for us to think about together uh, in terms of the, the relationship, the friendship between India and Israel. Um, when you think about these two countries, you can think that there's very little similar. Um, and I think there's a lot more than meets the eye. Uh, first of all, India and Israel together makes one-sixth of the world population, um, which is amazing. But, you know, now jokes aside, uh, there's a lot uh, There's a lot of similarities, a lot of common areas where, um, where Israel and India share um, similarities. So, for example, um, even in terms of the, the, we talk about two very modern, very young countries, uh, India got its independence only eight months before Israel did, in uh, exactly eight months, so the 15th of, of August 1947 and May 14th, 1948. So very young modern countries, but with centuries and millennia of tradition and heritage. So very young, but also very old in the, in the same time. Um, the fact that we're talking about two democracies, uh, one is the largest democracy in the world and the second is the maybe the only real democracy in the middle east and two countries that really appreciate its um democratic values uh equality human rights human dignities and and free elections and and freedom of speech i think the press in india and the press in israel are also very similar in you know um being the real guard dogs of democracy and doing its work so free press is very important also in both countries uh, one more thing that's a similarity is the fact that we're talking about two countries, two nations that are very uh, technology-oriented, and um, technology in the sense of um, modern high-tech, but also in the mindset of people. Uh, the, the spirit of entrepreneurship is very symbolic to both Israelis and, India, and Indians. You know, when in Israel, you say, and I think in India too, when you open a door, you, you go through the window. When you open one window, you go through another window. And that's the idea of no shame in failing, but then also try again and again and again and, and, and innovate and think out of the box. Uh, it's also very strong similarities. Uh, and then on top of that, I think the value of family, of having a warm family, of families staying together, being together, uh, you know, there's a joke about the Jewish mom, the Israeli mom, and it's definitely also the Indian mom pushing to education, to higher education. Uh, you know, it was about, all about having a son as a lawyer or, or a doctor. Obviously, today is also an engineer, but really pursuing and, and knowing and appreciating the values of education um, is strong in both countries. Uh, and obviously, the food. Uh, people would say that the Bay Area Indian and Israeli restaurants are not as good as the original, and I agree, and, and not as spicy, which is something that can be a good thing. But the food in India is, is spectacular, and the food in Israel, obviously, I mean, I'm not objective as an Israeli diplomat, but it's also something that um, um, you, you can only get when you, the real thing you can only get when you visit both India and Israel. So there's a lot of common 
commonalities, there's a lot of uh, um, similarities. So that leads to a lot of potential in the diplomatic relations between the two countries. And uh, even though the official, the formal diplomatic relationship between India and Israel um, only started in 1992, uh, around 50 years after the independence of both countries, it was very soon after Israel was founded, already in 1953, that uh, even though there wasn't an embassy in New Delhi, uh, there was a consulate in Mumbai. And the consulate in Mumbai was there mostly to help the Indian Jewish community, those of them who wanted to immigrate to Israel to do Aliyah uh, or just work with the, com the community on, on community building and um, you know Jewish holidays and just work with the state of Israel. Um, in, I think, the peak time back then in the 50s, I think there were around 100, more than 100,000 Indian Jews. In a, in a 1.4 billion, back it was around 1 billion people, but um, it's very, very, very small Indian community. And you heard uh, Dr. Spaniolo, the vast majority of those Jews, I would risk and say even 80 to 90%, they lived in Mumbai, they lived in Tane, which is a small city north of Mumbai, and they lived in the city of Pune, which is around three hours drive, depends on traffic. And in India, when you say 15 minutes or you say 30 minutes or you say one hour, it's very tentative. It's, let's say, Bay Area traffic times 10, not during COVID. So that's India traffic to be uh, to, est to estimate or to guesstimate. Uh, these were the centers of the Jewish community. There was a, a small um, Cochini Jews in the city of Cochin, which we heard of. And there was a small community in... Um, in uh, um, Calcutta, but I think the vast majority was in, in Mumbai and in Tane and in Pune. Today, and you guys can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think when I left India in 2015, there was there were about 4,500 Jews living in, in, in India, in, in the great, in the subcontinent of India. Today, I think there's around 3,500 Jews. Most of them, again, in Mumbai, about half in Mumbai, around little less than half in, in Tane, and then a very few, I think 30 or 40 Jews are still left in Cochin, maybe 20 Jews left in uh, in Calcutta, and a few dozens here and there, but the, the vast majority is in Mumbai. So that was the one area when where Israel and India partnered on, which is to help the small Jewish community. Um, even though the number of the Jewish community was very, was very small compared to the land of India and the, and the population of India, the impact of the Jewish community, the impact that the Jewish community had on the everyday life of the city of Mumbai is huge. Um, you see Jewish elements, Jewish names. Um, in many places, uh, you know, the Sassoon Dogs Library, Hospital, there's a lot of others in prominent areas of the city of Mumbai. Uh, and also uh, the small Jewish community had, even today, but especially a few a few dozens ago in the 50s and the 60s on the on the Bollywood industry the foundations of the Bollywood industry and then uh, and then you know in, the, in being directors and actors and producers they had a lot of impact on that too uh, so for a small community the Indian Jewish community did a really good job in um, in building reput positive reputation around their tradition and, and heritage and it's an extremely warm beautiful welcoming I was a guest there for two years. I, the way I was, um, the way I was able to build friendships, visit the Shabbat dinners, uh, and go to the synagogues and meet the community was fa fantastic. And I still have great friends from those two years till today. Um, 
on a more geopolitical level, the relationship between India and Israel were, are very deep and multi-level. So there's a lot of areas. I think the main one will be agriculture and water. Israel being known as a country with a lot of know-how and technologies on the area of, of, um, of water, from water recycling to drip irrigation to um, uh, uh, desalination. Uh, one story that I'll never forget is uh, around, the, around the beginning of my trip there, I went from Mumbai with road because the consulate covered a few states. One of them was Madhya Pradesh, which is to the west, to the northwest of, uh, of Mumbai. And we traveled really deep into the mainland of, of India to get to this farm. Um, and I was introduced to the farmer and the farmer was, he was uh, growing vegetables, mostly cucumbers. And that's one of the pictures that you saw before, me standing with like just random plants around me. Also, it wasn't random plants, it was cucumbers. And, uh, and I think the farmer knew that a diplomat is coming to visit the farm, but he didn't really know from what country. And when he saw my little pin was the Israeli flag, he gave me such a big hug and took me to see the Israeli technology. I'll say the name of the company, even though there's a few companies that one specifically was not a theme. So, well, it's a world-known country for uh, drip irrigation technology that's from Israel and told me that uh, just because of that technology, he's able to grow 10 times the yield than before he he um, implemented the technology. So that's just one story. And when we talk about fighting hunger in a country like, like India that suffers in a lot of regions, suffers from hunger, the sole technology of drip irrigation alone helped a lot with that, uh, with that problem. Um, so water, Israel has around 80, 28, sorry, 28 centers of excellence for agriculture where Israeli technology and agriculture is being presented and hundreds of thousands of Indian farmers can come and learn and then implement that, these technologies uh, in, their own, in their own farms. Um, other than that, um, there's, like I said, innovation, technology partnerships, academic partnerships, and then also... And that maybe the Israelis among us know, but also tourism. So um, India is the number one destination for Israelis. Once they, once they finish their military service, when they turn 21, uh, so they go around 50,000 Israelis a year, obviously pre-COVID, will go and visit India and vice, so, and vice versa. So 50,000 Indians will go and visit Israel once a year. So despite the fact that it's the same number, we're talking about two at like very different scales. So when I visited more of the rural areas of India, people when I and I said I'm from Israel, people thought, oh, Israel, that's a huge country that sends us all these Israelis. And I think if you ask a lot of Indians, they'll think that Israel and India are pretty much the same size of population because of all these Israelis that travel uh, from Go from the beaches of Goa to the beautiful streets of Mumbai and markets to Dharamsala and and um, and the Gange and Ahmedabad and the deserts of, uh, of um, uh, Rajasthan and really all of uh, you see Israelis and a lot of them. And, that's, and it's beautiful. And tourism bring culture with them, bring tradition uh, and, um, and just, you know, get a real people-to-people -people connection, which is incredible. So the last thing I'll say uh, before, I, uh, before, I, uh, before I move to Samsung is that um, for those of you who really want to explore options for, um, for partnerships. Um, there's two projects that when I was in Mumbai really um, touched my heart. And I thought it was a good idea to mention them here because those of you who want to 
maybe post-COVID volunteer visit in the ASC, see some projects that um, in the area of development that Israel and Israeli NGOs and Israeli government is invested in. Uh, so that's just, you know, things for you guys to think about. One is called um, uh, Warriors Without Borders. It's it's an organization that said that, you know, we, we have all these like tens of thousands of Israelis who visit India anyway, every year. Why not taking those, um, those who are in India and have them other than travel and sit on, by the beach and, and see these historical places? Maybe they can do something good for the community. It started in Mumbai. I think it picked up to other cities. They volunteer in schools. It's just young Israeli guys and girls who really want to volunteer and do something good for the community. So Warriors Without uh, Borders, they mostly work with kids, and it's it's a beautiful project. And the second one is an is Indian-Israeli-American partnership called Gabriel Project, uh, which is, uh, uh, I really urge you to Google it. It's a project that's based in two slum areas in Mumbai, the main one called Kalwa. And what they do there is that they have volunteers, young Israelis and Americans, uh, go to the area and in the morning with very less, with very little money, they only need a uh, little money for the morning to buy food, to, be, to buy uh, ingredients to cook food, uh, meals. So they work with, uh, and that's another picture of me from those pictures who are there. Uh, they cook food in the morning for the community, with the communities. It's a woman empowerment, a woman empowerment. So they take women from the, from the slum neighborhood. They cook the food together. They have a few dozen women that cook meals to around 180,000 meals every year. Dozens of kids every day later get those same meals, high protein, high fiber, healthy nutrition meal uh, to, uh, and to the, to those kids in the schools in those, in the neighborhood. So, the, and then after that, the same volunteers who cook the meals in the morning later go and teach the kids in the school. Uh, so it's a, so it's a, a double volunteer. So you do also the cooking group in the morning and then you volunteer later in the afternoon teaching the teaching the kids. Two amazing projects uh, I think worth uh, mentioning. As I promised, there's a lot of for me to talk about still, but I'll stop here uh, and I'll sum it back to you. Thank you, Mastan. Thank you so much um, letting us know all these wonderful collaborations that um, you have led uh, while in India and also now, you know, partnership between India, Israel and the United States. I mean, we would definitely uh, look up uh, those uh, projects that you mentioned. I mean, wonderful narrative of religious pluralism, mutual respect, diversity and inclusion. And the story would go on. I'm so excited to see the main um, photo we have on the Commonwealth Club uh, website of this program, India, Israel, and Berkeley. You see the synagogue. That's the synagogue um, in Calcutta. It's now called Calcutta. Um, that have been renovated in 2017. That's the city where I was born and raised in. And I remember my family was... Um, Friends with the Jewish family, they ran the bakery new market, uh, the Nahum's family. And um, yeah, this is so much, so many stories to share. I mean, this is excellent. And um, uh, our uh, audience, uh, once again, this is Soma Chatterjee. I'm your moderator uh, for the program today, representing Hindu American Foundation and in India Currents. It's such an honor and pleasure to be with you 
today with the Commonwealth Club of California. If you have any questions or comments, do text us on Zoom. I do have a lot of questions already. We are going to get back to that. I mean, people are excited. They're sending us comments. They, um, you know, we have from Melanie, what is notable in the history of Jews in India was the lack of anti-Semitism. Of course, uh, not an instance of anti-Semitism ever. And uh, we are all so proud of our thousand years of friendship and partnership. With this, I would like to move on to Samson, who was born in Mumbai, where he was raised Jewish, earned his master's degree in computer software. He emigrated to San Francisco, which he calls a hotbed for emerging comics or comedians. Samson is the founder of the Oakland Comedy Club, co-founder of the largest South Asian comedy festival in America, and headliner of the funny, you don't look Jewish, door. He has been featured on NBC, CBS, NPR, and TV San Francisco Chronicle, and has performed all over US, uh, Canada, and India, of course. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Samson Uh Thank you very much, Soma. Uh, hey, everybody. Glad to be here. We're going to change the pace a little bit. It's me now. <laughs> and I, I do want to request uh, on, on my Zoom, I am only seeing three people. So Soma, Francesco, and Matan, please unmute. I'd love to... You have, you're under a lot of pressure. you got to yeah, laugh for all uh, the people. Online. Here we have more than 200 people registered through the Commonwealth Club itself. That is fantastic. Like all my family and friends. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> in India currently there as well. You don't see them, but you're all here. I know. They're there. And also for the tech team, if you guys want to unmute and, and hopefully enjoy this, so uh, that'll be fun. Uh, I'm going to start by, first of all, saying Soma, great job, because you introduced me in the beginning as the world's only Indian Jewish stand-up comedian, which is technically correct. <laughs> you will be surprised. I have been I have been at comedy clubs introduced as the world's only Indian Jew. <laughs> and I'm like, dude, I have parents. <laughs> I, I didn't just drop from the sky. <laughs> right? So Thank you for getting that specific right. Uh, I'm also going to take Matan's offer up and visit Francesco after the COVID is up because uh, I want to definitely go and visit the Magnus Collection at UC Berkeley. I think I saw some of my grandmother's missing stuff. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see what we can do about that. <laughs> uh, but that was amazing. That was It, it was very nostalgic for me. Which is so interesting. I mean, partly written in Aramaic, partly in Tamil. Yep. Um, it is a South Indian language. Yep. It's fantastic to see that for real. I know what you mean. Uh, and that's the thing with Jews in India, right? Matan mentioned that being there for thousands of years. And they have adapted so much to the local cultures that you can't really tell us apart. Uh, <laughs> but uh, You also spoke about how uh, India and Israel make one-sixth of the world's population. I got that. Yeah. <laughs> for and people people don't understand right? like I, I was born and raised in Bombay or Mumbai for the politically annoying and <laughs> you know growing up in Bombay I used to always hear people say that Bombay is just like New York that's the comparison people draw Bombay just like New York right. so when I came to America I actually visited New York <laughs> <laughs> not really <laughs> 
right? Because you know, people say New York is a yeah. You know, people say New York is a city that never sleeps. Yeah. Yeah. Bombay is a city. About Tel Aviv. Yeah. Right. But then Bombay is a city that never sleeps and never lets you sleep. Lenny. <laughs> yeah. If New York is twenty four seven, then Bombay is forty eight fourteen. Right. Forty six. Oh yeah. Right. And then also here in America, I've always heard people complain about how crowded New York is. And so I actually looked up the numbers and found out that Bombay is less than half the size of New York and has twice the population. Right. Wow. Right. Yeah. New York is like 8 million people. Bombay is 18 million people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I told that to my, one of my friends here and he was like, whoa, <laughs> what that's like two people per square foot. <laughs> And I was like, no, it's more like two people on each of your foot. <laughs> That's definitely the local trains. I remember I used to be in Kolaba for my college, some of the internship, and I had to go to Worley to the TV studio. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> the local train is a free massage parlor oh, on no. wheels. <laughs> but I, I was born and, born and raised in Bombay. I was raised Jewish and... Uh, it's it's very fascinating for me because when I tell that to people here in America, I get a lot of questions. You know, questions like, "Really? Yeah. <laughs> like, are you really Jewish?" And I'm always like, "What are they expecting me to say?" It's like, "Oh no, you caught me. <laughs> you are so good at recognizing people just by looking at them. You must be Christopher Columbus." <laughs> And again, thank you. That is an Indian joke, right? (laughs) (laughs) The other question I also used to get a lot was, were you born Jewish? Like, no, I was born a baboon. (laughs) And then as I evolved, I realized that I am better than everyone else. The chosen one. (laughs) Which is usually followed by the next logical question, are both your parents Jewish? (laughs) No. My father is a Christian and my mother is a Muslim and they hated each other so much they were raised Jewish. <laughs> they produced you. <laughs> and, but here's the thing that I that I've always seen, right? All these questions that I got usually came from other Jews. It's almost like they were saying, Oh, you are Jewish? Hold on. First I gotta validate you. <laughs> <laughs> Are you really Jewish? Were you born Jewish? Are both your parents Jewish? And now here's the real backstory. All right. My mom was born and raised in a Hindu family, married my dad, born and raised in a Jewish family, converted when she married. So when I was born, she was Jewish, which in the Jewish law, you are a, your, your mother is Jewish, so your kids are Jewish. So when I was born, she was Jewish, so I am Jewish, right? Right. But I, I, I stopped explaining this to... At the, um, at the Magnus Museum. <laughs> <laughs> right. But here's the thing, right? I, I stopped explaining this to everybody, except when I was on stage. And, and here's why. Because one time we were having a similar uh, discussion. I was like talking to a bunch of people and I mentioned that my mom was born and raised in a Hindu family. Uh, before I could say anything, somebody in the, in the group yelled out, eh, you're not a Jew. And I was like, hold on, Sherlock Holmes. <laughs> Let me finish my statement. Right? And then I went on explaining that she converted when she married. So she was Jewish when I was born. Doesn't that make me Jewish? 
And he goes, I don't know. She converted. <laughs> I was like, yeah, that's the whole thing I just explained. Is that a problem? And he goes, no, no problem. But, you know, she converted. And I was like, dude, if that's the biggest issue, let's let's think about this for a minute. All right. Now, we all know who was the first Jew, Abraham. And how was Abraham the first Jew? According to the story, one day he heard this voice that said, Abraham, from now on, you are a Jew. And I think Abraham was like, "Uh, who are you? (laughs) The voice was like, I am God. Really? Are you really God? Were you born a God? How about your parents, God? Right? And I guess God must have been happy. He's like, hey, look, I chose the right Jew. He's asking me all the questions. <laughs> so here's my point, right? Like, okay, if Abraham was the first Jew, but then he married Sarah, not born Jewish, no Jewish parents, so obviously not Jewish. And like I said, in Judaism, the mother has to be Jewish for the son to be Jewish. Their son Isaac isn't a Jew either. So Pretty much, Abraham was the first and the last Jew. The rest of us, <laughs> in delusion. <laughs> right? How about that for validation? By the way, Samson, Celia, she's off today. She has a medical checkup. You know, we are missing her so much. She's the police <laughs> forum at the Commonwealth Club, right. California. But she has a question for you. She said... Sure. Um, you did an engineering degree and then became a stand-up comedian. I mean, why engineer in the first place and then why move to this profession? So I think stand-up, doing engineering was fulfilling my parents' dreams. And then I had to pursue some of my own and that's how I came into (laughs) (laughs) stand-up. Yeah, like we were talking about this, right? The similarity between Indians and Jews in America. Indians produce doctors and engineers and Jews produce doctors and lawyers. (laughs) (laughs) So here I am. (laughs) And scholars like Francesco. Francesco would well for it, right? A lot of Jewish people in academia. Absolutely. I I have to say I really agree with Samson that the, the history of the Jews of India uh, prompts so many good questions mm-hmm. for everyone. Mm-hmm. And so thank you for highlighting some of them. And uh, the, the Jews of Kochi actually, and Matani, I'm sure you're familiar with this story, but had a hard time getting into Israel. Uh, it was, it was uh, their, their status was also questioned at the time. And uh, what I learned best by frequenting members of the community is that they're now completely integrated with society. And, and there, there is a small museum in the Negev, they actually didn't give them the, the, a comparable part of uh, Israel to settle, right? They left a very lush land and they found themselves in the desert. Uh, right. There is a, a small, beautiful museum and synagogue there, but most of the communities really sprinkled around the country and very much integrated and married across all kinds of uh, uh, other Jewish groups within Israel. So, uh, right. There is more absolutely- Indian Jews in Israel now than there are in India. Right. So the majority of them, I said 100,000, majority of them, uh, some moved to the UK, to the US and to Canada, but the vast majority moved to Israel. And what you said, Francesco, is absolutely correct. I think because Jews in India were so used to being integrated among um, a a larger community than them, the 
compared to other communities in Israel, I mean, every community has their own struggles, but they were able to be part of the Israeli society, I think, the fastest uh, um, compared to other uh, other others ways of aliyah, of immigrants to Israel. Uh, they, like you said, they're married, you know, everybody, and they really now, uh, they move to the senior positions within like, the administration and business and academia and really blended into Israeli society, and they shaped Israeli society. Food, music, um, you know, culture, again, academia, and a lot of other aspects. So amazing story of the Israeli-Indian too. Wonderful. Thanks for sharing, Matan. Samson, question to you. Okay. What Hindu plus Jewish objects you have at your home? Well, I used to. Some of them are in the Magnus collection now, but <laughs> sorry, <laughs> you can't have no, them. I, <laughs> I don't know. See, for me, we we grew up in Bombay, very cosmopolitan. And and Matan, you were based in Bombay, so you have seen there are people of all backgrounds, all religions, all sects, everything, all mixed together, and we live so cohesively together. If you actually walk into my house, you'll you'll find like Jewish some Jewish objects. You'll find some. Uh, my, my dad wears like a cross and a, a Muslim cap and uh, Punjabi kada, the, 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 the steel uh, uh, bangle that, that the Punjabis, the Sikhs wear. And so he's like a, a mixture of everything. And it was similar thing with my mom too, because she was born Punjabi Hindu. Uh, she used to teach in a Gujarati school, which is another language. And she married a Jewish guy and we speak Marathi at home. And so talk about diversity in a family, right? And it's, it's it's a similar thing with me too. We have a mix of a family here. My wife is also, my wife and I have had an interfaith marriage. She's uh, Maharashtrian Hindu. I am Jewish. Uh, my, my older daughter has a Scandinavian name. And my younger daughter, we adopted. She was an Afghan-American, gave her an Italian name. So all over the map, right? So I don't know what's very typically Hinduistic, but I think the food more than anything else. I relate most to the food, and if you want to get the Hindu effect, uh, I'll make you like latkes and samosas, the best in town. <laughs> you really need to taste that. Matan, there's a question for you from Vijay Rajvaidya of India Karan. So, which part of Madhya Pradesh MP did you visit? He's from India. Wow. I have to go back to my 2013 diary. Or anyway. <laughs> So there were, he said that, uh, you know, he can totally resonate with what you said, the agricultural projects, the water management, irrigation, his state really, uh, you know, uh, was uh, benefiting from these projects. So he can, he has firsthand experience uh, observing it. So that's great. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I can't remember the name and plus even if I did, I would probably pronounce it wrong. <laughs> I have to say, you know, before coming to Mumbai, I thought maybe I'd learn some either Hindi or Marathi so that I'd be able to you know, speak. And just between us four, because nobody else listens, the only thing I can remember today, other than, you know, Namaste and the very, like the basic things, I know how to say in Marathi, you have dialed the wrong number. Because I've heard this so many times with like the phone system there that I, that's the only sentence. And a few more, but. I remember. Mm-hmm. Sorry? And saying that you still remember, right? <laughs> right. That's the one thing I remember. I remember how to say Happy New Year and Happy Holiday. and <laughs> But that's the main one that sticks, that sticks with me. 
Sure. So, Francesco, there's a question from, for you from Lori Holzberg. She said, what is the origin of the Jews in Cochin? Did you mention Portugal or do, do you know? Um, very, very good question. And it's, it's really the stuff of legends. There are many, many conflicting stories. Um, and uh, there are, as I mentioned, uh, written documents actually in their inscribed copper stones that date from the year 1000 of the common era mm -hmm. so you do your math but it's not a difficult math to 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 do and that's when we know that there was a jewish community there that had something to do when i'm talking kochi with the with with uh, with the local uh, the local government at the time um there are all kinds of mythological stories but you know i come from italy the jews of italy have their own myths and then you know other parts of everybody has their own myths uh but um the the story i told is is a very modern story is the story of essentially the the integration between the local jewish communities and the global the history of global trade which is not just trade of goods it's not just uh, financial trade it's uh, the, the global trade means people are moving ideas uh, and uh, and and the objects that we saw um what i did not show for example is the thro the trove of books hebrew books that were found in kochi that come for example from italy from the mediterranean from uh, from eastern europe all hebrew books that arrived with jews there so it was a community that had a core but also a lot of movement of people coming and going for all kinds of reasons some of them staying uh, one of the actually the, one of the lamps that I show that uh, it, it's a family. The last name of the family, it's a local family, is Ashkenazi, as in German or East European. Um, so I, I, that's why I was kind of echoing Samson's, uh, uh, you know, funny but uh, but really uh, relevant humor in terms of questioning all kinds of identities. There are all sorts of identities there, and in a way, the myth is fine, but it's not the most important part there. Some say that it goes back to Roman times and Jews were doing trade with Rome. We don't have any actual uh, document for about that. But what we see is the waves of colonization and how Jews interacted with them and how different Jewish populations arrived and interacted with local ones and how some lost rights, some gained rights, some fought inside, some fought outside, how much they participated in, in, in Indian history, in the making of India. Uh, uh, Matan sort of was helping us remind that uh, 1947 independence of India, 48 of Israel, uh, there, there are some interesting synergies there in, in terms of history, but I was also pointing us back to the origins of Zionism and how much Zionism, we, we think of Zionism as a, as a uh, European or American phenomenon in relationship to the the arrival of Jews to, to Palestine. And, and we see that the impact in the Commonwealth, this was very much also a British affair. And, and the impact on the British Commonwealth is very much felt uh, in, into India as well. There is a response. And the long-term project that will lead to the migration of the Jews of Kochi to, to Israel will take decades uh, for that to happen. It's a, it's, a, it's a sort of zigzagging kind of story but totally fascinating. And I have to say fascinating for me, who I think is the only person on this panel who never set foot in, in India. I've never, uh, I've never been there. So that's maybe a dream or maybe a plan for me after COVID uh, to find, find my way there and discover these, uh, these lands and these places, these stories that really fascinate me and resonate with other things I know about sort of global, marginal cosmopolitan Jewish identities and maybe not, not just Jewish.
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we look forward to that trip. Hopefully, we can all go and revisit. I mean, yes, there's so much. Are you saying all, how many, all 225 people that are watching will organize a small tour <laughs> and all go there? Good. I mean, that would be my dream come true. And I'm yet to visit Jerusalem, which is, again, you know, part of my dream to visit, go visit Israel, hopefully mm -hmm. someday soon. And uh, with that, I mean, this has been a wonderful conversation. This will continue and hopefully we'll be able to meet each other soon as well. And thank you. And not in Israel, at least at the Magnus in Berkeley. So make sure you come and come back. Thank you, you know, the, uh, for um, uh, patriotizing, you know, for your um, uh, very nice um, anecdotes to Jewish history, Jewish life, Jewish objects and Jewish experiences from India, Israel, and the United States. Um, we are global citizens. It's a connected world. So much love to all of you who are listening, who are watching us uh, tonight. Thank you for your presence. We really appreciate it. I am Soma Chatiji, your moderator for this program, and you just listened to Dr. Francesco Spaniolo, Matan Zamir, a Deputy Consul General from the Israeli Consulate, and Samson Kolletger, world's only Indian Jewish stand-up comedian. I hope I got that right. <laughs> <laughs> With that, I mean, we are, yeah, it's about time. So I have to make my closing remarks, although I don't feel like leaving. But um, the meet, this meeting of the Commonwealth Club of California celebrating over 115 years of enlightened discussion is now adjourned. Thank you. Have a very good night, everybody. Namaste. You've been listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Stitcher. If you like what you've heard, please consider supporting our work and help us bring 500 programs a year to listeners like you. Go to commonwealthclub.org donate. Think your way around the world with our travel programs to exciting domestic and international destinations. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live at our events. Thank you for listening and for your support.